From KBOO Community Radio in Portland, Oregon, this is Progressive Spirit, progressivespirit.net. I'm John Shuck. You have people uh, who will preach that what Jesus, they remember Jesus as the one who, uh, who wants people to be successful and rich, and that if you follow these instructions, Jesus will, uh, will enable you to become wealthy. And you have other people who are saying that Jesus was a complete anti-materialist, and he urged people to give up everything they had, and that he wasn't interested in people having material possessions. Well, these are two memories of, Je- of who Jesus was that are completely at odds with each other. Uh, and yet, uh, there are memories that people have today. Uh, well, those, those kinds of different memories go all the way back in early Christianity. As far back as we have sources, we have people remembering Jesus in completely different ways. My guest is Bart Ehrman. He's the James A. Gray Distinguished Professor of Religious Studies at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. He's the author of more than 20 books. He was on this program twice before when we talked about his 2012 book, did Jesus Exist, and his New York Times bestseller, How Jesus Became God. He's with me now uh, via Skype from Durham, North Carolina, to discuss his latest book, Jesus Before the Gospels, How the Earliest Christians Remembered, Changed, and Invented Their Stories of the Savior. Welcome back, Dr. Ehrman, to Progressive Spirit. Thanks for having me. Well, this book uh, took you into a new field of study, memory. Uh, you have some spent some time reviewing uh, the literature of psychology, sociology, and anthropology in terms of what these fields can tell us about memory. So to set the stage, uh, what did you find in the fields of memory study that, that apply to the stories we have about Jesus? Well, you know, the interesting thing about the uh, Gospels of the New Testament uh, is that they're written about 40 to 60 years after Jesus' death. So Jesus is usually thought to have died around the year 30 of the Common Era. And the first gospel, Mark, was written probably around the year 70. So that's 40 years later. And so uh, something's going on during those 40 years as Christians are telling and retelling their stories. And it occurred to me that we really ought to know more about how people remember things, uh, how they remember what they saw and heard, uh, and how they remember stories that they've heard. Uh, because stories about Jesus are being told year after year, decade after decade, by people who didn't know him. And so I thought it was really important to look into what scholars in a range of fields have thought about memory. Well, many Christian apologists uh, will claim that uh, we can trust, they use that phrase, we can trust the four canonical Gospels, which is uh, a phrase we hear because those who recorded the stories of Jesus were eyewitnesses, or in the case of Luke and Mark, close to the people who were eyewitnesses. But the authors of the Gospels, whoever they were, were quite a bit removed from the historical Jesus, weren't they? Uh, I think they were, yeah. So scholars have long uh, asked about whether the the Gospels are based on eyewitness testimony, and I I guess I would have two things to say about that. The first is, uh, it's striking to me that scholars who talk about the New Testament being based on eyewitness testimony never bother to look into what we know about eyewitness testimony. As it turns out, there's been a lot of scholarship on this, uh, not in the biblical field, but in the legal field and in psychology. Uh, And these studies of eyewitness testimony have shown beyond any doubt that uh, eyewitness testimony is not necessarily reliable. Uh, and that, that makes good sense. I mean, if, if, if eyewitness testimony was always reliable, we wouldn't need a legal system. Uh, if somebody saw a crime, we would just ask them what happened, and then we would convict the person. Uh, but obviously, eyewitness testimony is highly uh, problematic. But even more than that, uh, the Gospels don't claim to be written by eyewitnesses. Whoever wrote the Gospels, were uh, these were highly educated, literate, 
Greek-speaking Christians from uh, decades later. Jesus' own followers were lower-class, uneducated peasants from rural Galilee who spoke Aramaic, who didn't even know Greek. Uh, and so they, they can't be the disciples or, uh, or other people from Palestine. And so the Gospels uh, probably are not written by eyewitnesses, but even if they were, that would not in itself guarantee its accuracy. Well, the idea then of uh, passing on unblemished the faith that has once been delivered and handed down from Jesus to the apostles to eventually the New Testament and the Apostles' Creed, as the song says, isn't necessarily so. <laughs> I think you mixed two songs there. I might have. <laughs> so, uh, yes, uh, yeah, that's, uh, well, that's right. I mean, scholars have long recognized that, that, uh-huh. that in fact, the Gospels contain uh, discrepancies and contradictions, and, and, and that there are historical mistakes in the Gospels. What, what this book that I'm, I've just written is doing is trying to show how to make sense of that in light of what we know about how memory works. Uh, because these memory studies uh, done by psychologists and sociologists and anthropologists, these memory studies apply not only to people living in 21st century America, uh, they show how the human mind works and how society remembers things, and that's applicable even to ancient times. So those people that might have remembered, who might have been in touch with Jesus and, and had some stories, they might really think that they remembered what was happening accurately, but it will be quite distorted. So it isn't that they're intentionally fibbing. And no, that's right. That's right. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not accusing anybody of lying or, or, mm-hmm. or, uh, or trying to make things up. But the reality is that psychologists have shown that all of us have memories that, uh, that are distorted. Uh, we misremember things. Of course, we forget a lot of things. But even more than that, we misremember things. And a lot of the memories that we have, as it turns out, uh, are, are uh, what you would call distorted or false memories. We actually have memories of things that didn't happen. Uh, this is shocking to us, and most of us think individually that that might be true of someone else, but it's not true of me. Mm-hmm. But psychologists have shown pretty conclusively that all of us have these kinds of memories, and they know what generates these memories, and we can apply these findings to uh, to people in other contexts, such as the, the early storytellers who are passing along the traditions of Jesus. Talk about communities uh, remembering Jesus in light of the needs of their present situation, uh, and that reflects the Gospels, too. So the Gospels are right about Jesus in the past that reflects their present. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Right. It's one of the most interesting findings that uh, sociologists have have demonstrated, that communities that tell their stories, uh, and so your community could be your family, it could be your, uh, your religious community, it could be a civic community, it could be a university community, whatever communities you belong to tell stories. And and what happens is when we tell our stories in a communal context, our present circumstances affect how we tell the stories, and they affect how we remember the past. And so the stories we tell not only, uh, not only represent things that did happen, they also reflect our present circumstances. So that if you examine memories of a community, you can learn a lot about their present circumstances. And so that's one of the things that I do with the Gospels, is I look to see how the present circumstances of the community are affecting the re- their uh, recollections of Jesus. Well, can you give an example of that uh, in the Gospel stories, um, of, of that happening? Uh, yeah, so one, one kind of clear example that I use in the, in the book is that um, when you read through the Gospels and you look at the trial of Jesus before Pontius Pilate, mm-hmm. uh, 
over time, Pilate gets more and more innocent. And so Pilate is, uh, Pilate condemns Jesus to death in Mark, the earliest gospel. In Matthew, though, Pilate uh, declares Jesus innocent and he washes his hands and says that he's innocent of Jesus' blood. So that the, then the Jewish crowd cries out, his blood be upon us and our children. So the Jewish crowd is taking responsibility. In the Gospel of Luke, written later still, Pilate declares Jesus innocent three times. And uh, as you go on through time, Pilate gets more and more innocent so that in some Christian communities later, after the New Testament, Pilate is actually said to have converted uh, and become a Christian. And hmm. so what, why, are they, why are Christians remembering Pilate as increasingly innocent? Well, I think there's a pretty clear answer to that. It's because Christians were in controversy with non-Christian Jews and started accusing Jews of being guilty for killing Jesus. And so if Pilate is innocent, who's guilty? It's those Jews. And so the, the communities of these Christians uh, who are in conflict with non-Christian Jews, that, that's, that context is affecting how they remember the trial of Jesus before Pilate. Progressive Spirit. Spirituality. Social Justice. ProgressiveSpirit.net. My guest is Bart Ehrman. He's the James A. Gray, Distinguished Professor of Religious Studies at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. His latest book is Jesus Before the Gospels, How the Earliest Christians Remembered, Changed, and Invented Their Stories of the Savior. You know, you've done a lot of work, of course, on uh, the Gospels of Jesus, stories of Jesus that aren't in the Bible. Uh, for example, the Gospel of Thomas or the Infancy Gospel of Thomas. Some of these books we've had uh, for a long time. Some of them have been discovered in the last century. Um, Gospel of Judas, Gospel of Peter, and they're so widely different. Even within the canon, the Gospel of John is is widely different from the Gospel of Mark. So how does uh, what are some ways that memory accounts for so much difference regarding the stories about Jesus? Well, you know, we all have the experience of uh, talking to somebody about something that happened in our past where we remember it completely differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's always a surprise to us that this person isn't remembering things correctly. <laughs> yeah. and, and the other person's surprised that we're not remembering it correctly. But the reality is we have different memories of the same event. Um, and in part, that's because we tell and retell the event to ourselves in our own heads over time. And, and the way we tell it changes over time uh, for a variety of reasons because of the circumstances that we're in when we're retelling these stories to ourselves. Uh, well, that happens with everybody, and it's always happened with everybody. And it happened with the early Christians. As they told and retold their stories of Jesus, their own circumstances affected how they told and retold their stories. And the way you uh, retell your stories affects how you remember the stories. And so the memories of Jesus are changing over time in different communities in different places. This memory was diverse right at the beginning. It's kind of later in Christian history that sort of quality control came in, didn't it? And said, this is, <laughs> right. this is how we're going to tell the story? Uh, well, yeah, I would argue that the quality control never kicked in uh, uh, in a very serious way, because even today, when you talk to different Christians, they have different recollections of who Jesus is. Mm. Uh, and so today, uh, in our country, for example, you have people uh, who will preach that what Jesus, they remember Jesus as the one who, uh, who wants people to be successful and rich, and that if you follow these instructions, Jesus will, uh, will enable you to become wealthy. 
And you have other people who are saying that Jesus was a complete anti-materialist and he urged people to give up everything they had and that he wasn't interested in people having material possessions. Well, these are two memories of, Je of who Jesus was that are completely at odds with each other. Uh, and yet, uh, there are memories that people have today. Uh, well, those, those kinds of different memories go all the way back in early Christianity. As far back as we have sources, we have people remembering Jesus in completely different ways. You also write about how figures of history are re-remembered in our present. Uh, Abraham Lincoln or Christopher Columbus are remembered differently now and that same thing can apply to memories of Jesus in the present. Well, that's right. And, and you know, some people say, well, look, I don't really remember Christopher Columbus because I didn't know him. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's obviously true. But we do have, we do, uh, scholars do talk about our thoughts about past figures as memories of them because we're calling to mind, uh, which is what the word remember, remember means. It means to call something back to mind. We're calling to mind what we know about the person's life and character. And so when I was a kid, of course, Christopher Columbus was the great hero of, of America. Uh, today, though, a lot of people think that Christopher Columbus wasn't a great hero at all. He's a, he's a, real, uh, he's a real culprit. Hmm. Uh, so um, these are different memories based on our different uh, historical contexts. Progressive spirit, spirituality, social justice. My guest is Bart Ehrman. He's the author of Jesus Before the Gospels, How the Earliest Christians Remembered, Changed, and Invented Their Stories of the Savior. Uh, now, some scholars have claimed, critical scholars, that the authors of the Gospels self-consciously told parables about Jesus. They, they were writing stories that didn't really actually happen and knew that, but we don't get it because we're too literal-minded. Um, were, were the authors who told stories about Jesus that are likely not probably accurate, uh, Jesus bodily ascending into the sky, for instance, did they know it was a fiction and that their readers would get it, that it was a metaphor, or two, know it was a fiction, but were passing it off as something that happened, or three, did they really think it happened? Right. So, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, the question is impossible to answer. Okay. <laughs> we, we don't know what the authors were actually thinking at the time. You mm -hmm. know, were they, did they think that they were telling a parable? Did they think they were telling the literal, literal truth? Did they, you know, did they think the readers would get it? So we don't know that. What we do know is how readers always read these stories. And almost in, in almost every instance that we have any record of, readers read the stories as being literal descriptions of what happened. Uh, now, did the authors mean for them to take it that way and that they were mistaken? Uh, I, you know, I don't know. But uh, the fact that every, every early reader seems to have read these things as literally suggests to me that it was the literal mindset that was widespread in antiquity. And so probably the authors meant these to be taken literally as well. Well, many of the stories of, of Jesus uh, sound familiar to other stories, such as the birth of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew and the birth of Moses in Exodus, or Jesus feeding 5,000 men plus women and children with a few scraps of food, and Elisha feeding 100 people with 20 loaves of bread. Uh, both similar miracles. Jesus is a little bit more impressive. But how does distorted memory explain that kind of story about Jesus that appears to have uh, a literary uh, antecedent in the Hebrew Scriptures? Yeah, and it's interesting because the literary antecedents are not just the Hebrew Scriptures, but also uh, there, are, there are close parallels between what Jesus says and does with what figures in Greek and Roman mythology do, uh, say and do. And so uh, there are a lot of, a lot of similarities. And I, what, what's, what scholars of memory would say 
is that we always, uh, we remember new things in light of the old things that we already know. Hmm. Uh, and so uh, w- when you're trying to make sense of Jesus as the Son of God, uh, the miracle-working uh, Son of God, you you put him in a category that you already have because you already have an idea of, of miracle-working sons of God, whether they are somebody great like Moses or Elijah in the Hebrew Bible, or if they're like somebody in the uh, Greek or Roman environment, like Apollonius of Tiana, uh, who was also a miracle-working son of God. When you, when you try to conceptualize uh, something new, you always do it in light of something old. And so the older things always affect how you remember the present things. You know, some of the real fanciful stories, uh, it, it might be easier to look at those that are outside the Gospels, but within the Gospels too. But let's, let's, let's go with one story. What was it? The ancient historian talking about Judas' body blowing up and filling up the whole street and all of that kind of stuff. I mean, yeah. people then couldn't have really thought that that happened. Uh, could they? <laughs> really? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I'm wondering, is there a difference between, you know, uh, that time period and now? Of course, people believe crazy things now, too, don't they? Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, yeah. it, it, you, it's amazing what people believe now. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, and so, uh, I mean, those of us who are uh, liberal and well-educated and, uh, and kind of uh, critical about the world— we, we don't think that uh, it is likely that, that Judas Iscariot's head uh, swelled up so large that he was unable to walk down the street because his head wouldn't fit between the two sides of the street. <laughs> we, yeah. we, don't, we, don't, we think, you know, actually that's probably not true. But I know, I know people who believe all sorts of things. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, no, <laughs> and, and I'm not even talking about the political situation right now going into an election. <laughs> right. But, but religiously, people believe all sorts of things. And so uh, I, I don't think it's incredible at all that people in the ancient world thought that, that these things were literally true. Uh, but and on the other hand, people in the ancient world weren't just simply gullible. I mean, there were people who had honest doubts and, and criticized these various stories for not being true. And they, and they didn't, as you pointed out in one of your other books about uh, forgery, uh, people didn't think forgery was complimentary. They, they, they also were critical of people writing stories in the names of the others that uh, uh, weren't accurate. So there is, there is also the ancient people were also critical in a sense, too. Am I right? Yeah. Well, no, that's absolutely right. There's, there's always been an educated, uh, skeptical class. Mm, mm-hmm. And in the ancient world, we, we have written documentation of people who, were, who doubt uh, all sorts of uh, things that are, are widely believed. I think the difference between now and then is that we live in a world where about 99% of us are literate uh, and have uh, a relatively advanced education. Mo- you know, most of your listeners probably graduated from high school, probably college as well. Uh, in the ancient world, instead of that being, uh, say, uh, 50% people with a college degree, it would have been 1%. Uh, and mm. so the, the 1% are the ones that left us any writings, and so they're the ones who leave, give us access to the past. But 99% of the people were uneducated, and people who are uneducated tend to be uh, more accepting of beliefs that the educated think are incredible. Many people might have their balloon popped when they learn that some stories about Jesus and the Gospels are a product of distorted memory or even invention. In fact, uh, both people who want to debunk Christianity and those who want to defend it think that if it isn't 
true historically or uh, it's invaluable. But you write that you're disappointed in this, that uh, that uh, these various memories, distorted as they may be, yet can have value. Is, is there more to truth than historical truth? Uh, that's one of the points I try to stress is that, you know, that this this insistence that the only thing that matters is history strikes me as really uh, a bit crazy. Uh, you know, we don't, when we live our lives, there are, the things that we love and appreciate are not things that we fact check. Uh, you know, we, people always want to fact check history, which is fine, which is great. I mean, I do that. I'm a historian, mm-hmm. so that's, that's what I do for a living. But, you know, the things that we really enjoy in life, our family, our friends, our shared histories, when we, when we get together at a family reunion and talk about our past together, we don't fact check in order to make sure that we get every detail right. We revel in the memories. Uh, and so I, what I try to argue is that memory, in many ways, is far more important than history, because we don't have, strictly speaking, we don't have access to history, uh, because we don't have any direct access to the past. What we do have access to are our memories of the past. And so in some ways, memory is more important than history. And what I argue in the book is that, uh, that the historical Jesus is not the one who made who, who makes the most difference in the world. It's the remembered Jesus that makes the most difference. Uh, and so I try to celebrate that as something that's important rather than simply criticizing the Gospels as being inaccurate. So there's something to be said for remembering Jesus in a way that uh, contributes to human flourishing today. It may not have been historically accurate that uh, he was um, always on the side of the poor or nonviolent or something like that, but it might be wise for us to remember him that way as for those who value him uh, to uh, engage our present circumstances. Yeah. And so I'm not, I'm not saying that people should, um, you know, just remember Jesus any way, any old way they Uh want because it it pleases them. But there, there are memories of Jesus that are, uh, are very powerful today. I, uh, I was in South Africa about a month ago, and I happened to be able to meet uh, Archbishop uh, Desmond Tutu. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he clearly remembers Jesus in a certain way, and it has absolutely revolutionized not only him but the the people that that he's been in contact with. It is it has changed South African society, and you could argue it's changed world culture. Uh, because of his way of remembering Jesus. And so this is a very powerful thing. And it's not simply good enough to uh, do a historical fact check to see if his memory is historically accurate. Uh, it's, it's a much bigger issue than that and a more meaningful and powerful issue. Well, yeah, we, we think of um, not only Jesus, but the Bible as a whole. Uh, when uh, during the Civil Rights Movement, the story of uh, the Exodus became valuable and present in terms of their own liberation movement. That's right. And so I think it would have been rather silly for a historian to point out, well, we don't really have any archaeological evidence for the Exodus. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, that's absolutely true. And it's worth pointing out in a university classroom. And it's important to know as a historical piece of knowledge. But it doesn't affect the impact of the Exodus story, the way the Exodus was, was remembered on the civil rights movement. You're listening to Progressive Spirit with John Chuck. Bart Ehrman is my guest, author of over 20 books. He's a leading scholar of historical Jesus and New Testament studies. His latest book is Jesus Before the Gospels, How the Earliest Christians Remembered, Changed, and Invented Their Stories of the Savior. In addition to your books, you also have an internet presence. 
Right. So, uh, so the kinds of issues I talk about in this book and in, in all of my books are issues that I talk about on my, on my blog. And I would like people to know about my blog. If they want to, they want to find it, just, they just need to Google the Bart Ehrman blog. Uh, I, I post uh, five or six times a week, a thousand words a day, five or six times a week on issues related to the New Testament, historical Jesus, the Apostle Paul, the books that didn't make it into the New Testament, everything having to do with early Christianity. Uh, the thing about this blog, though, is that people have to pay to join. It's $24.95 for a, a year-long membership, or you can have a shorter membership for less, less money. And I, I charge this money not to line my own pockets. I, in fact, give every, everything away. I give all the money away to charities dealing with hunger and homelessness. Uh, hmm. This last year, uh, we raised over $100,000 on the blog. And so uh, I would encourage people to think about joining it uh, because they get a ton of information uh, at, you know, it's less than a dime a day. Uh, and, uh, and it really helps uh, charities dealing with those who are in, in desperate need. In regards to your blog, what kind of questions do you get? And, and what's changed over the years as you've been a professor at the University of North Carolina? It seems that we have people challenging religion on one hand and fighting for it on the other. I think we're going through a really interesting time period where the religious right is, uh, is, uh, is uh, flexing its muscle. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we have uh, the rise of, uh, of neo-atheism and the, the uh, surgeons of the, uh, the nuns, those who don't claim any religious affiliation. This is going on at the same time. And so what we have right now is a kind of, uh, it's kind of a cultural war. Uh, that is in part focused on religion. Uh, and so mm. it's a very interesting time to be alive, and it's a very interesting time to be a scholar of religion. Uh, I myself uh, am not a, uh, a believing Christian. I'm, a, I'm an agnostic, and yet I'm a scholar of Christianity. And so I'm able to see both of these camps, and I think that it just makes it for a very uh, fruitful time to have these conversations about, uh, about Jesus and, uh, and memories of Jesus and the Gospels and, and the entire New Testament. Dr. Ehrman, thank you for being with me today and for this work. Okay, it's been my pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to Progressive Spirit, progressivespirit.net. Progressive Spirit explores the intersection of spirituality and social justice. Listen to interviews with top scholars, authors, social justice activists, and spiritual leaders from Portland and around the world. Politics, sex, science, spirituality, justice, and peace. Heard on WETS, Johnson City, Tennessee, WEHC, Emory, Virginia, WPVM, Asheville, North Carolina, and KBOO, Portland, Oregon. Worldwide, via podcast on your favorite podcast app. That website, again, is progressivespirit.net. I'm John Shuck. Be well. Be well.